So thankful Pastor Tim decided to dress like me today to make me feel welcome. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for doing that. Um, I definitely don't also want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers. I want to frame this message because this message could come in two different forms. Uh, one form is you could get very depressed if you're a father because I'm going to talk about what it is to be a father. Uh, and that can be a little overwhelming, okay? So I want you, if you're a father, to frame as I begin to speak. Here's how we're framing this message. We're going to understand what the call of being a father is so that we can be positioned by God to live out that call and understand what we need in order to live out that call, okay? If you're not a father in this room right now, my prayer is that you're gonna receive, even if you are a father in this room, you're gonna receive the love of a heavenly father because the truth is, no matter how good a father was or how not so good a father was, none of us as fathers fully display the perfect fatherhood of God the way we're supposed to, okay? All of us fall short in some measure. And so no matter if you had the best father in the world or maybe your father wasn't around, one thing each one of us need is to understand the idea of father from the perspective of God the Father. That's a greater understanding. He is the perfect example of all the things we're trying to be as fathers. And so why am I talking about fatherhood? I do, as Pastor Tim mentioned, I do have a family. That is not a fifth child. That's my wife. I know I look that much older than her, okay? But the one in the middle is my wife. People keep asking me. You mentioned I came uh, actually to the Philippines first in 2005. The first day I arrived in the Philippines, there was a picture of my wife and my kids were much younger than there was only three of them at the time. And uh, there's a picture of my wife on my first ever computer. And three different guys in the class walked by me, looked at the picture of my wife, looked at me, looked at the picture of my wife, looked at me, and then pointed to her and went, how did you do that? I was like, what do you mean? How did you get her to marry you? Well, thanks a lot, man, that's really, like, but they're kind of right. Somehow by the grace of God, that woman, her name's uh, Nane, which in Japanese means the question what, so it's confusing, but in Hawaiian means beautiful or glory. It's used like in the Hawaiian Bible for the word glory. And then these are my four kids, Jonathan, Ellie, Ben, Lily. So I, I've been a father for 22 years which means I'm just now scratching the surface of the beginning of understanding what it means to be father. So why do we take time and talk about the idea of father? Uh, there's a minister who's really influenced me. His name's Derek Prince. Okay, this is not Joseph Prince who lives with me in Singapore. Nice guy too, but this is Derek Prince. He was a British guy who preacher of the gospel for about 60 years in Africa and Israel, all around the world. And he made this statement about the Bible. In a certain sense, God has committed to every father the responsibility to embody, as a person, the ultimate revelation of the Bible, fatherhood. Think about the boldness of that statement. Derek Prince is saying that the ultimate revelation you're to get when you read your Bible is that there's such a thing as a father. And understanding who that father is, is the embodiment, it's the reality of understanding the love and the purposes of God. He says this, to be a real father is the most perfect depiction of God that any man can achieve. It is the ultimate revelation of God himself. You feeling a little heavy yet? I'm feeling a little heavy. I'm starting to feel a little heavy. Now, I'll make it worse. Every father represents God to his family. This is not an option. The question is, do you represent God rightly or wrongly? There was a psychological experiment done late 80s, early 90s, where they would take people and they would ask them to fill in a questionnaire about their fathers. What was your father like about this? How did your father discipline? Did your father show affection? Did your Different questions about your father. You'd fill this out, and then a few months later, you'd come back and fill out the same questionnaire asking you questions about your understanding of God. 
What was very interesting is the answers given to what my father was like were almost identical to the answers given about what God is like. So example, what's your father like? I didn't have a father, he was never around. What's God like? There is no God, I'm an atheist. What was your father like? Oh, very disciplinary and nothing was ever good enough for him. What is God like? God is very mean, he's got all these rules and no matter what you do, you can never live up to your expectation of God. So what I am telling you is your understanding of God psychologically informs your understanding, sorry, your understanding of your father psychologically informs your understanding of God spiritually. So this is important for us to deal with. And if you're dealing with it like I am from both the position of being a son and the position of being a father, the thought that's running through my head is I can't do that. I can't represent God to my children. I'm not God, I'm not perfect. I'm not doing everything well myself. Uh, my story is my parents divorced when, they, when I, I was four years old at the time. So my mom was a single parent suddenly with a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. Uh, and our understanding of father is you see him once every two years, maybe three years. So what we understood ourselves to be is abandoned, unworthy, unwanted, uncared for, unvalued. And so that begins to inform your understanding of God. And so now for myself, I remember coming back to a church service and we would sing a song like, you're a good, good father. Not that back then, that song's younger than that, but some song about God being a father or our father who art in heaven. I'm like, okay, great. We got somebody in heaven who's gonna abandon me. Great. Not something I'm interested in really. And then I read an interesting verse. It's in Psalm 68 verse five. It says, a father to the fatherless and defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. So when you go, look, my identity is I have no father, I'm fatherless, God says, look, if you're fatherless, I will be a father to you, if you'll let me. And I remember one day we were in this class and all these guys were pulling up their fathers who were either biological or spiritual. And this is my spiritual father, he's taking care of me, this is my biological father, all these fathers, right? And I was sitting in the crowd watching this and going, I don't have a father, I don't have a spiritual father, I don't have anything. Who's my spiritual father? And I remember God whispered to me, he's like, yeah, I guess you're stuck with me. Sorry about that. And it suddenly hit me, we can identify ourselves as people of lack. Uh, I don't know the lady's name who shared the offering. I'm sorry, what was her name? Chao Min? Kiao Min. Okay, she shared something really interesting. Do you come from the perspective of lack or the perspective of abundance? I came often from the perspective of I don't know my father, so I don't know how to be a father. But God again, changes our perspective sometimes, goes, if you will get to know me, I'm a good, good father. We're just saying it and it's true. If you get to know God, he can frame how you can become a good father. So in some ways I had an advantage because I didn't have to unlearn. Because if you're like a, a decent dad, I'm both showing you good things and bad things. So now you have to filter as a child, which ones do I take and which ones do I let go of? In my case, I didn't have any reference point. So all I have is God. So I have this very pure idea of what a father is, and it actually helped me in some way. So my weakness became a strength. So now when I interact with my children, what is my expectation of how we can father my children? He says this, God sets the solitary in families. So you go, I didn't grow up with a father, so what do I do? God will bring you to a community, to a family, to a church community that can love you, that can care for you, so you can see modeled around you healthy relationships, healthy marriages, healthy families. God often fathers us through each other. And so that's God as the, as the father of the fatherless will draw you into. So one of the first people he brought into my life was a guy about my age, but he grew up in a great home, was a great husband, was a great father, and watching what he did and literally just kind of like faking it, like modeling whatever he did, I just kind of do it because I didn't know what else to do. And, and God in his grace provided me frameworks 
He provided me images. He provided me models of how I could be a father. Now, what is it a father is supposed to be doing? I think three things at least. There's a lot of things we could name that fathers do. But the first thing that fathers frame for their children is provision. Okay. Um, what type of provision specifically? Three things, and these are psychological, these are sociological, like I said, uh, if, you, if you listen to any serious psychologist talking about families. Uh, basically what they'll frame is two things. If you, have a, if you don't have a mother's love, it's one of the most damaging things any human being can face. Without a mother's love, it's probably the number one thing that people will have a hard time understanding love and connecting with other people based on that. The second most difficult thing is not having a father that gives them a sense of safety. And so, again, can we overcome all those things? Absolutely, we can, by the grace of God, and we're gonna talk about that. But we have to recognize where we come from. We have to recognize what the problem is so we can see how God is the solution. So what is it that a father provides? Protection, you are safe. Peace, you can rest here. Power, you can do it. This is what a father's role with his children are. Most of my conversations with God involve him telling me, you can do it. Go ahead and rest, I got it taken care of and you're safe here, I will protect you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So the Father being with us positions us to be safe no matter where we go. There's a lady named Corey Tenbaum. She said this, there's no safer place in the world than in the will of God. What's interesting about her saying that is she was saying it from a concentration camp in Nazi Germany during World War II. In other words, you might be in a prison, you might be under persecution, you might have your life literally threatened and yet that's a safer place if it's the will of God for you than any other place in the world. Because what's really important? Your life is really important. Your soul is really important. Your eternity is really important. Your relationships are really important. So as a wise father, you're protecting for your children their relationship with God and their relations with others. If they're doing that well, they will be safe. They'll have life and eternal life. And so that's what we try to build. Now I'm gonna share a verse with you that is confusing and that's why it's good Pastor Tim's here. Uh, so that he can fix my heresy. My name is Harris, so there's some Harris E that comes out every now and then when I preach. So just be ready for that and you can kind of fix it later if you need to. When I turned 11 years old, my father tried to commit suicide. So he put a bullet in his head so you can actually put your fingers into his skull. His skull is opened up. When he tried to commit suicide, something strange happened to me as a child. I quit being able to cry. I literally could not physically cry. So what would happen is if something very emotional happened to me, I would get really stirred up, you would see my eyes turn red, and then I would get these terrible headaches and it would feel like my eyes about to pop out of my head because the tears are there but they won't come out. And so this is like painful and difficult and I couldn't express emotion well and that turned off into rage and different issues that I was having. And the first time I cried was I turned 22 years old and I'm reading through the Old Testament all these laws. If someone's a sorcerer, you gotta kill them. If someone does witchcraft, you gotta get them out of the camp. I'm like, what is this? This is weird. Like, like I'm a 22-year-old kid reading these verses and I'm like, this is strange. Don't eat shellfish, don't eat this, don't eat that. Don't eat all the stuff that tastes good, pork. It's like, man, come on, God. You gotta let us eat the good stuff. Anyway, so I'm reading through all this and then I come to this verse and I just began to weep and weep and weep. It's a strange verse, it may speak more to men who watch a lot of action movies, I don't know, but just stay with me. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And suddenly it struck me, from the time I was a little kid and particularly when my father tried to commit suicide, I suddenly believed that if I cried out, no one would be there to answer me. If I called out for help, no one was gonna help me. I was stuck alone, 
unprepared, ill-prepared, and broken, and unable to function in this world, and I wasn't going to be able to win, and I had nobody to help me. But this verse said, no matter how alone I feel, no matter how broken I feel, no matter how desperate I feel, if I will cry out to God, he will hear my cry. And this is the next verse, gets a little, okay, just stay with us. My wrath will become hot. I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. God is talking. Now, I want to help you with something, okay? This is before Jesus showed up. So back then, moral issues were dealt with in physical realm. So that's why God sometimes would tell you, you got to kill all those people because they're so perverse and they're so full of idolatry. That's why he flooded the world. The only way to deal with this sin was to, to physically deal in physical means with the problem. In the New Testament... God fights for us spiritually, not physically, because our enemies are not flesh and blood. They're principalities and powers and spiritual weakness in heavenly places. So God does pull his sword out and fight for you. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so what happens is when you cry out to God now, your father in heaven sends his word forth like a sword and it fights for you and it defeats the spiritual enemies that are coming against you. How does that look practically? When you're stuck in depression and darkness and hopelessness and you're looking at your life going, there's no purpose, there's no hope, there's no vision, and God sends forth his word like a sword when you cry out to him and he goes, I've spoken to the children of Israel, I've spoken to you as the New Testament believers, I've spoken to all my children to say I've given you a hope and a future. That there's always hope in God. He is entering into a living hope that he offers to you. And so his word comes and it actually slays spiritually the demons and the lies that attack and offend you. Have you ever been sitting, I was sitting with a bunch of teenagers and overhearing their conversation and one of the girls said, every time I look in a mirror, there's a voice whispering, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly, you're ugly. Is that voice her voice? Is that voice God's voice? Or is that voice a voice of the enemy? In my opinion, it's a voice of an enemy. So what does God do when those voices of the enemy come? When we cry out to him, he sends his sword, his word. It's his provision. You can do it. You're safe. I will fight for you. You can rest because I will defeat your enemies on your behalf. That's why one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare is giving thanks and resting in the middle of our trials. Because what we're saying is, God, we trust you that you're bigger than this thing and you're going to win. You're going to win this battle. I don't have to fight this battle. The battle's the Lord's. God, you're going to defend me. God, you're gonna help me. So fathers provide provision. They provide their presence. And this is really interesting. When we were a small church, this person came, Pastor, I love being part of a small church like this because you'll always be there whenever I need you. And I was looking at them and I was like, I can't even be there for my wife whenever my wife needs it. How am I gonna be there for you whenever you? I'm like, like right now, I'm not with my wife or my children. They're not in this room as far as I can tell. I don't see them. Pretty sure they're in Singapore. I'm a human being. I can't always be there for anybody. He can't, if you think he can be there for you, when I know he's very active and full of energy and Pastor Tim's a great pastor, but he cannot be there for everyone at all times and all places because he's a human. And we've got to rid ourselves of that mindset that what we need is the pastor. What we actually need is God. So here's the good news. As a loving father, I want to be there for my kids in every trial they face. Right now, I have one kid who lives in America, a couple who live in Singapore, one of them's about to move. I can't be in America and Singapore at the same time. A long way from each other, right? So I'm limited as a father, but God is unlimited as our father. And here's his promise to us. He says in John 14, I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Jesus goes on to say, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. 
So here's the invitation of God the Father. Not just that he will make a safe home for you until you grow up like we do for our children. But actually that if you're willing to and you want to, he will come to you and he will make his home. In other words, he'll stay with you forever. And so every time you face a challenge, every time you need to email someone who's difficult at work and you're trying to think of the right words, no one else relates to that, okay? Every time you have a test, every time somebody's mean in school, every time one of your children is doing something that you have no idea how to address the issue, the Father says he'll come and live in you and help you learn to engage whatever situation you might face, that he'll bring his peace, his power, his presence into that situation to help you. Because a father needs to be present. And I talk to a lot of fathers, the challenge is, hey, I'm trying to work, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do that. I don't have a lot of time for my children. How can I help them and offer them something else if I don't have a lot of time to offer them? And the answer to that is there is no way to fix not having time with your children. Sorry, it's the truth. Your children need your presence, not just your presence. Okay, you can bring back presents from trips, but it's not gonna be enough. What they need is your presence. They need you to be able to listen to them. They need you to be seen by you, to loved by you. So we do our best we can, but we're limited. And that's why one of the things you can do, cheat code, engage them in the presence of the Father. So they only see you as a sub-support to the Heavenly Father that's helping them. Uh, when I was young, I got married really young, had a wife, continue to have the same wife, her name's Nani. And she, she, I remember one day I'm completely running out of money. We're just a young family, pregnant kids. We have no money. We have no work. She was a nurse, but she, got, she decided to stay at home and be a mom at home. I'm working, but I'm making peanuts. And so I remember we had been pouring out to God, serving God, trying to help God. And I remember I, I was complaining to God, and I said, God, I'm trying to be the provider for my home. And he stopped me, and he was like, well, how's that going for you? I'm like, well, it's not going very well. He's like, yeah, because you're not a very good provider. I'm like, but the, the, the father, it's in the Bible. The father, the husband's supposed to provide for his children, provide for his family. You're telling me to provide. He goes, I know, but how do you provide? And I was like, well, I work hard. And he goes, really? So, so are you making sure the world's held together and all the atoms of the universe are held together by the word of your power or all the atoms of the universe are held together by the word of my power? Am I giving you the power to gain wealth so that my covenant can be established on the earth or are you helping me provide for your children? It's like, what do you mean? He goes, do you want to be the provider for your home or would you like me to be the provider for your home? And then you can still carry on the role. It's like, who's the pastor of this church? It's sort of Pastor Tim, but it's really God. And we better remember that. Because one of the goals of God is that there be one shepherd. It's in John 14, he goes, the, the end game of all this is that there be one shepherd. We're, we're here temporarily for, as sub-support until we all understand and fully understand Jesus, then he's gonna be the one shepherd. There's really one Father. There's really one Lord. So all of our work is to point people towards Him. So as a husband or a father, I'm trying to provide certain things, presence, love, peace, support, encouragement, attention, affection, all those different things, but ultimately to point people towards God, not to myself. So that they see that all of its origin is actually God. Does that make sense at all? You're tracking with me? Okay, come on. So in the specific role of father in the negative two minutes I have left, we're gonna get about six points out, all right? So here we go. Negative two minutes, we, here we go. We got it. How does, a God, how does a father in his presence, what is his responsibility to his children? Two, two main things, love and discipline. Here's what it says in Hebrew, love and discipline. 
I know you kids love discipline, right? Yay, discipline, yay. Okay. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? You ever gone through a hard time and go, why is God doing this to me? The answer might be because he loves you. And he loves you enough to let you go through hardship to prepare you for the next thing he has for you. Because if you don't learn patience here, you're gonna end up destroying an important relationship there. If you don't learn self-control here, you're gonna end up having lack of self-control in a moment that's gonna destroy you, dishonor God, dishonor your family, and get you in trouble. So I'm teaching you how to handle hardship and difficulty and challenge now so you're ready for the next thing I have for you. If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You are not true in sons and daughters at all. How do you know God is really your father? When he disciplines you. I can love Pastor Tim's kids. I can't discipline them. I can do everything Tim does for his kids. I can also do except discipline them. That's not my responsibility. Did you know that? So when Joel's at our house, he's got to follow the rules of our house, but I don't discipline him. He's not my son. My children may have to receive discipline from me. And it proves to them that they're actually my children. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen. And all the children said amen. Yes, discipline's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So now I wanna make a note about something because we talked about discipline. God shows his love by being there, listening, and disciplining. However, it's loving discipline, loving discipline. If I lose my temper and start hitting my children, that is not called discipline. That's called me having lack of discipline and that is called abuse. And honestly, I'd put you in prison if it was up to me. You do not vent your anger on your own children. That is never discipline. Because the point is not for their good, the point is for you to vent your own anger. So if you've done that, God's gonna forgive you. You need to repent. You need to ask forgiveness of your children, but venting your anger on your children is not disciplining. So here's how we would do discipline in our home. Somebody messes up, we check which one of us has enough self-control to discipline them properly because it might be neither one of us. If it's neither one of us, we gotta pray for a few hours and we're gonna come back and discipline you once we're settled down, all right? But anyway, we would talk, Nani and I would talk. So my son, Jonathan, spanked him three times in his life, all three times, walked into his room, sat him down, explained to him why he needs to receive discipline. Here's what you did. Here's the rule. Here's why you were supposed to do it. I'm going to give you one spank. After I give you one spank, you know I love you, right? Okay, I'm spanking you for your own good. One spank. Every single time I've spanked my child, he's come back and hugged me later. Every time. Because I explained it to him. I followed through in self-control by the grace of God. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't do it yourself. If your dad going, I can't help it. I just lost control. Yeah, you can't help it. You need to cry out to God for help. Okay? So this is loving discipline. Discipline is I'm doing this for your good, not because I'm angry. Okay, if you're angry, get the other spouse involved so that you're not just venting anger. Is that okay? So here's what Jim LaFoon said about that. Rules without relationship will result in rebellion. In other words, if you as a father are just putting down rules, but there's no relationship to understand the rules or the framework of the rules, all there seems is no matter what I do, I can't live up to your expectation. The end result will be rebellion over time. So if you want to discipline well as a father, or as a leader, or as anybody, do three things first. Make sure they understand they're accepted. Fathers provide acceptance, affirmation, and access. So what does that mean? I'm available to you so we can work this out together. I affirm you, I believe in you, that's why I'm disciplining you. 
My basketball coach in high school never disciplined, well, maybe once disciplined me, but hardly ever disciplined me. You know why? Because I wasn't a good player. He just wanted me to sit on the end of the bench. He had this special place for me called the end of the bench, and he just sat me there and said, you sit there, and then the rest of you are gonna play, okay? My best friend was the star player on the team. He got disciplined all the time. You know why? Because the guy believed in him. Hey, come on, man, you can do better. Hey, you can shoot it this way. Put your elbow in. Make sure you keep your elbow in. If I shot however I wanted to, he didn't care because he knew I wasn't going to play. So what am I trying to tell you? Part of loving discipline is I believe in you so much, you're too important to get away with that. So I'm going to lovingly redirect you towards a path that will bring life to you because I believe in you. That's why discipline is actually an act of love. It's saying I care enough to help you get going on the right path. But it's really difficult to discipline well. One cry out for God, give me the fruit of the Holy Spirit that I have peace and self-control enough to do it wisely for their good, not for myself. Number two, how is this discipline helping to get them back on the right chart for their life so that they can do well, so that they can be blessed? Now, if you're not fully depressed as a dad yet at all the mistakes you made, I'm gonna just keep heaping this on you because at the end of this is us praying, going, God, help us. We need your help. So here's access. Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off, that's us Gentiles, and those who were near, those are the Jews. And through him, Jesus, we have access by one spirit to a father. You know what the story of Christianity is? You're not alone anymore, you have access to your father. And if you'll believe that and receive that, your life can be changed forever. The last thing a father does is give us purpose. Questions I'm here all the time from young people. Why am I here? What should I do? And if they're not asking those two, it's can I really do it? And that's where a father's voice comes in and speaks life. So when you hear God speak to you, you can do it. It changes your life. That's what prophecy is. It's the father's voice speaking over his children purpose and meaning for their life. What should I do? That's where God will send people who will give you wisdom. In Acts 13, he sends a group of guys who fast, pray, worship together, and that sets Barnabas and Paul on their, Saul on their journey who becomes Paul. In Acts 16, that guy Paul, who's now had this relationship with God, finds this guy Timothy, Timothy's a nice guy looking for something to do. Paul shows up and goes, come on with me. Like a loving father, there's a lot, that's a long story, that's a second sermon. We'll be here for another hour. You've got one hour left. In the last hour we have, I'm gonna tell you another sermon. No, I'm just joking. He takes this guy and he says, look, I know you have a loving mom, but it says your father was an unbeliever. I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna do the things a father needs to do for you. He circumcised him, we go into that another time. But what he really did most importantly, laid his hands on him, prayed for him, blessed him, prophesied over him, and called him into God's purpose for his life. And here's ultimately what a father does. The whisper of the father, it's what happened in my life again and again and again. The whisper of the father saying, don't give up. Either hear it from your heavenly father or hear it from one of your earthly fathers, whether that's a spiritual father, whether that's a physical father. Our responsibility is to look into the next generation's eyes and say, don't give up. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Can we hear the whisper of our father whispering to us, you can do it. How do we hear that whisper? This is my last thought. That's why we pray. All these men walking around with Jesus looking for what's he all about. This is where they landed as the most important thing to model that Jesus did. They didn't ask him, how do you raise dead people? How do you cast out demons? How do you preach so good? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because something happens when you go away and you get with the Father. You come back different. There's something about that. that something happens that's so powerful. And we wanna understand what that is. It seems like everything else you do is based on that. So can you teach us how to pray? Say, so yeah, I'll teach you how to pray. Go hide in your closet and cry out to your father. 
Your Father who sees in secret will ward you openly. Can we pray together right now? Lord, I thank you that you're good and that your love endures forever. And I pray, God, there's so many things we could say about a father, and some could make us depressed to go, man, none of us live up to that. Some of them could make us challenged to see the greater things you have. I pray that we would start in this moment by receiving the love of our father, that God, maybe none, some of us didn't ever get that as, as biological children. Our fathers never showed affection, affirmation, one of these things. And we're not trying to judge. We're not trying to dishonor. We're just trying to be honest. This is where we stand. We ask that your love as a father would pour out on us as we experience your peace, as we experience your affection, as we experience your, your acceptance, you love us for who we are, even in our brokenness. I pray that your spirit would just come and live in us and like you promised in John 14, you would make your home in us, that everything else we do flows from that deep relationship with you. That's our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.